0: You're listening to Grow, Cook, Inspire. I'm Helen Cross and this is the podcast which goes beyond telling you when to check your potatoes and lift your dahlias. I shine the light on the news, views and trends worth talking about. Plus, I share fantastic conversations with people from the world of gardening and food. Plus, much, much more. Hello and welcome back to Grow, Cook, Inspire. Yep, it is still January. However, I'm hoping that today's episode will help lift the spirits as we slowly trudge through the last few days of January. On today's show, I am very excited to share with you my interview with journalist and author Alice Vincent, ahead of the publication of her new book, Why Women Grow, and also her new podcast, which is also called why women grow but first here is my garden and kitchen edit for the week ahead to inspire and inform now while most of us are still sitting on our hands itching to get seed sowing waiting patiently for daylight hours to stretch, why not distance yourself from these thoughts by taking a look at some of the new gardening and cooking books which are due for release in the coming weeks and months. Now, first up, for those who are quite frankly sick and tired of coming up with new and inventive answers to that same question that rolls around at five o'clock every single day, author of The Taming Twins blog, Sarah Rossi, has got the book to answer your prayers. Her debut book which is due out on the 2nd of February which is aptly called What's for Dinner is filled with 100 recipes and meal plan ideas to make sure that you will never be stuck again when it comes to dinner time. Now, for those who love gardening and flavour, then Andrew Perry of Urban Herbs fame has the book for you. His book, How to Grow a Herb Garden, is out on March the 30th. Now, Andrew's gonna be on the show in the next couple of weeks, and I can promise you that this book is gonna be an absolute cracker. And another book which has also caught my eye this week is a book called The Flower Pot Forager, which has been written by Stuart Overden. Now, this book is a beginner's guide to growing wild food in pots at home, and as well as how-to guides to grow these wild foods, there are also recipes. Now, it's not out until April the 27th, but it is available to pre-order. And finally, Sarah Raven will publish another new book, which is called A Year Full of Veg Next Month. Now, Sarah will share her tried and tested ways to grow her favourite crops, which promises you to see harvest from January right the way through to December. The sight of the first snowdrop is a pure fire sign that spring is just around the corner. So what better way to enjoy those beautiful, delicate flowers than by pulling on your boots and heading in search of one of the many snowdrop walks across the country. The RHS website has plenty of suggestions and you can also find inspiration from the National Garden Scheme too. Now if you're looking for inspiration in the kitchen this week I am suggesting that you make the most of Seville orange season or as my kids like to call them jelly oranges. These are great for making marmalade and what better way to banish the January blues than to be making a huge big boiling batch of marmalade to see you through the rest of the year. Today's guest has got me thinking a fair bit recently. Has gardening become what sex, drugs and rock and roll was for the baby boomer generation? Are we looking for an escape from our lives and pressures? Or have we always enjoyed having such a passionate love affair with nature and gardening, but only through the magnifying glass of social media does it seem that it's become so pronounced? After all, I am sure that my grandparents and parents and gardening gardened without such fanfare, but it was very much a part of their everyday life. Former arts journalist of The Telegraph and now editor, writer and author, as well as columnist, Alan Vincent, may have grown up in the countryside surrounded by nature, but it was in the city where her love affair with gardening and plants unravelled as she experienced heartache a journey she charts in her book Rootbound, Rewilding a Life. But in her latest book, due out in March, Alice digs deeper to explore the relationship between women and soil and asks the question, why women grow? This is Way more than a gardening book. In fact, it's not a gardening book. It is part nature memoir, part oral history. Her beautiful, honest and sublime writing illustrates why women, despite all other challenges and commitments going on in their life, take to the ground and nurture and grow things. The stories revealed are raw and breathtaking. And you can tell by the writing that Alice has forged a real relationship with each one and that you've been invited into a very personal real conversation but enough from me let's hear more from Alice about this book which is more poignant now than ever. Good morning Alice and how are you? Welcome to the podcast. Hi
1: thank you Helen I'm very well thanks it's lovely to be here. It's lovely to have you. I've been looking (laughs) forward to
0: this conversation for quite some time. So let's begin um, to introduce yourself, Alice, for those who don't know you. um, You are a journalist and you started off writing about all things arts and culture, and you could be found in many a music festival up and down the country and further afield. So tell me, how did you, come about taking an interest in gardening?
1: Yeah it was a bit of a flex I'm not gonna lie Um, and (laughs) and it was quite a long time ago now I think I think 2024 will be 10 years since I got a balcony so we're looking at nearly a decade and um, it really was as simple as that I got a balcony and it was very concrete and I wanted to grow herbs because I like to cook and eat things that are delicious. Um, but it, it you know, it really wasn't a thing among that young people did and shouted about 10 years ago. Um I, there was definitely interest bubbling along. There was a lot of houseplant murmurings happening um in kind of design magazines and certain pockets of um, trend forecasting. But, Gardening was not something anyone expected a kind of a music journalist in their mid-20s to be doing, and I included myself in that. And yeah, it was for a while I lived this sort of secret double life. And one of the reasons my Instagram account is called Nauticulture is because I felt like I couldn't put my name to it. It it felt uh, very rogue. I wasn't in any way trained. I had no idea what a perennial was. So it was, I definitely didn't really want to associate this career I'd been working really hard for with my kind of fledgling Pelagonians. But what what really happened to change things was a couple of years after that, everything that I'd sort of, I had a quarter life crisis really and everything I took for granted. So my relationship, my home, my job, started to fray at the edges at best and completely disintegrate at worst and the only thing that kept me steady at that time was by cluing into the things that were growing around us and and in London that is parks and that is window boxes and that is the buddlier that creeps up in the train tracks and it made me it connected me to something a lot larger which I found deeply reassuring
0: and that's really what sings and what you talk about in your first book, Rootbound, Bound, um, which I actually read after I read Why Women Grow.
1: <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> Gosh, you've had a real binge, Helen, you poor thing.
0: <laughs> I love Rootbound, And I think oh, it's a book that although people might not be able to relate to your whole journey bit by sure. bit, but there are bits of it that, that you pull out that people will be able to relate to. Like, for example, you grew up in the countryside obviously as did I and I could not wait to escape the space and I I love going back to the countryside and my family farm but I went to London and I fell in love with gardening in London because like you see it is it's not a concrete jungle it is such a beautiful luscious green jungle it's um it's beautiful I used to live very fortunate to live next to
1: Kew Gardens and then oh wow amazing yeah yeah, no it's not a jungle out there Helen no
0: (laughs) and then moved to North London and had the heath on my doorstep and um, oh it was just it was amazing that's where my love really came from because I had my first two kids there so I spent a lot of time out in the parks pushing that buggy (laughs) so your the root bound journey talks about your heartache you separated from your partner and you really threw yourself into gardening and learning and absorbing as much as possible. I think as a bit of an escape
1: from the yeah. heartache. Yeah, yeah, it was from the heartache, but I think it was also an awakening that the life that I had been told I should want wasn't really what I wanted. You know, I tried really hard to get this job, um, and I was, you know, I was an an arts journalist, a broadsheet newspaper for a like a good part of a decade for seven years and it was in many ways magical and intoxicating and exciting but it was also sometimes really difficult um and the competition of it was unpleasant and, and I, you know I was meant to be going to all the I was going to a lot of in inverted commas cool parties and doing cool things and um and none of it really made me that happy or certainly, it didn't make me as happy as gardening did, and yeah. now I kind of live a, a sort of a balance between the two, and don't really do any cool things at all, frankly. But, um, <laughs> but you and I, I both. It's <laughs> yeah, overrated. I'm happily in my mid-thirties, but um, I, but I would say that it made me realise that there was this whole world out there for for me to to find for myself, not to discover. I certainly didn't discover it, but for me to find for myself that I could take on my own terms and nobody could tell me what it was meant to be like or what I was meant to be doing and a lot of that was about making a space that I could understand and and yeah as I said I was incredibly fortunate to have the balcony a total luxury in London genuinely but I also completely connected with community gardens and parks and these open spaces that I wouldn't say they're open to all because there's a lot of accessibility issues in the city, but I would say that they are public and theoretically they're for everyone.
0: So before you came about to write Why Women Grow, where, mm. where were you in your life in terms of sort of, were you in a place of contentment or were there things
1: still sort of bubbling so I always, I've sort of over the years I've been writing books, I've come to realise that I, um, it's a very laborious form of therapy, <laughs> um, but I, I normally, the, the realisations I have once they're written um, as to why they came about aren't apparent at the beginning, but yeah, I was, so it was lockdown, Why Women Grow is an absolute lockdown baby. Um had come out, you know, almost exactly three years ago at the start of 2020, and it was all jolly exciting and it was in the windows of shops and i had a book tour coming up and everything and then lockdown happened and so um suddenly all of that was frozen in time which is a small price to pay in comparison to what a lot of people had to suffer during the pandemic but it was quite dislocating um and our lives changed massively and i was living in Um, a one-bedroom flat next to the woods in South London, which is bucolic and still one of the happiest places I've ever lived. And my now husband moved in with me and suddenly this space that had been fiercely independent and female, like this was a flat I had, you know, achieved for myself in the wake of turbulence. It was a deeply feminine a room of one's own kind of space was filled with uh, a man I loved but nevertheless a man and all of his crap and I was just like okay this is (laughs) happening and now we have to live together 24 hours a day and work together and I have to sort of question the oddity of what it is to kind of um, exist in this new form of womanhood. I was in my early 30s, a lot of my friends suddenly moved to the suburbs, a lot of them had children, a lot of them got engaged. I got engaged completely by surprise and suddenly I felt like that twilight of girlhood that I was counting on for a few more years had just stopped. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And suddenly we had to be grown-ups. Yeah, and you had a smelly man to contend with. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I think he probably watch it more than I do, frankly. But yes, uh, you know, uh, it was it was dislocating, and I, I really wrestled with this notion of how how could I balance my kind of quite strident feminism with this very domestic world that was unfolding around me. And this therefore led to you considering writing another book during lockdown. <laughs> Yeah, well I I did I did write and record a little audio book called Seeds from Scratch during okay. lockdown, which is um, yeah, which is one of those bizarre fever dream projects that doesn't really feel real. But yeah, it was sort of in the summer and I and I explained this in the book, but I took out a green notebook and I wrote a list of names. And um those names were of women that I wanted to speak to. And over the next 18 months. I approached them, and dozens more. Many of them were strangers. And for me, two things were really important. One, I had to speak to them in person. And two, I had to speak to them in an outdoor space that they had chosen. So they um, obviously
0: felt more comfortable and probably more likely to open up, I imagine.
1: that. I mean, in hindsight, yes, from a journalistic technique, that obviously was important. But for me, it was more that I wanted to see their choice of green space, because as someone who had never had a garden in the classic sense, I, I didn't want to assume that everybody else wanted to talk in a garden. So we spoke on allotment plots next to motorways. We spoke on flower farms next to A roads. We spoke in grand, massive houses, like gardens of houses in Clapham Old Town. I went to a remote island in Denmark. Um, oh <laughs> we oh went my to goodness, parks <laughs> in in Yorkshire. You know, where wherever they wanted to talk, I would travel, which in lockdown wasn't amazingly easy. Um, but it was the spaces which were as important to me as as everything else in it.
0: And did you find just sort of on first impressions um although you should never judge a book by its cover (laughs) did you find that your presumptions about the people and their personalities were they reflected in their garden spaces that they chose to speak to you in?
1: That's such a good question um I didn't actually think too much before (laughs) I went about what their garden might look like because people with the exception of one or two of those women, so there are 45 women I spoke to in total, Um, and about 20 of those conversations make it into the book, which is already quite long, so (laughs) it feels brutal to not to say, oh, only half got written about They They all informed one another, Um, but yes, so only two of those people didn't apologise for their garden in some way or another. Which I think is interesting, Yeah. yeah. But and I do the same a, thing when I open my back door at the moment. I'm like, oh, God, it's such a mess out here. Every but that, that's such a female thing to
0: do. It we're is. so, we're always apologising. Like, you do that when someone comes around to your house and, <laughs> oh, God, I'm sorry, I've not tidied, and it's like, yes. the cereal is still on the breakfast table <laughs> from this morning. And likewise, people say, oh, can I come and see your garden, hill? I'm like, oh, but, you know, it's, it's, oh, everything's gone over and um, it's basically a mud bath. Yeah. Um it's really interesting. I don't it know is. how you shift that.
1: Well, with time, and, and that was what was so lovely, is that, in, you know, when you say, oh, well, they, did they look like what they expected? Because a lot of these people were, were relative strangers and not many of them put their gardens on the internet. And even if you do see someone's garden on the internet, it never actually looks the same as what it does in real life. No, um, our, our
0: lives are not our, our online lives. Right. It
1: and the things that I found most endearing almost most telling almost most charming are things like if the, if for instance using my gardener's example the collection of broken flower pots next to the compost bin you know the bits that you yep. would never <laughs> see the, the the dirt and spit and sawdust of things and um, whether that was a collection of completely beautiful house plants in a conservatory or whether that was you know A kind of a tidied up deck chair in the corner everyone had these glimmers of their life that they probably stopped noticing because it's just how they live um and I very much wasn't really going I was going for the space rather than the garden I didn't really care how immaculate or how polished a garden was because to me they all held their own kind of beauty and that
0: reflects us as humans because we're all different and we're all broken in different parts and none of us are polished <laughs>
1: absolutely absolutely and that, and it's those flaws that make us who we are and who we are and yeah. Who we are. exactly yeah totally yeah. so
0: give me an example because obviously you've spoke you spoke to 45 women not all of those yeah. were are in the book can you give me a couple of examples maybe two different sort of extremes of people that you that you spoke with and and why why they garden and was there sort of a a similarity between between the women you spoke to
1: yeah so I'm going to for ease I'm going to mention the oldest woman I spoke to and the youngest person I spoke to so the youngest was called Holly and they uh I I put out a survey about six months into the process because I was realizing that I could within my own circle I could only go so far and I really wanted to be as inclusive as possible so I put out a survey and Holly answered it and they wrote um I used to be a drag king and now I'm a market gardener amazing (laughs) yeah and I was like, okay, cool, let's go and see Holly. And um, Holly used to live in London. And then she and her partner relocated to a very beautiful, very sleepy part of Sussex and um, to a market garden for lockdown. And she was in her early twenties. And she did indeed used to be um, a drag king called Orlando, who is incredibly beautiful and you can see on the internet um, and Holly gardened for a number of reasons and I, I don't want to entirely spoil that, that conversation that is in the book but um, one of the things that really we we spent and had a really long conversation this was sort of very windswept late summer day and she, she very much had been an academic and she'd gone through all of her studies and she was at that point in her life when you have done everything that you sort of think you ought to do and then suddenly something like a pandemic comes and throws a spanner in the works and I think it had given her a huge sense of permission to try other things, to do Mm -hmm. something new, to realise that her life wasn't set in stone, to realise that she could spend a year and a half growing organic vegetables and putting everything else she Knew. But there was also a great sense of forgiveness there. She'd been through, um, part of the reason why Orlando existed was because she had gone through a manipulative relationship when she was younger and she was wanting to claim a sense of self. And one of the things I found very interesting was that she said she didn't really feel she needed to be Orlando in quite the same way now that she gardened because she'd been able to find different parts of herself in, in doing that growing. That quite literal growing so that you know that was um, fascinating and beautiful and very tender Um, Mm. and then Diana is 60 years older than Holly and Diana I still see most weeks uh, certainly speak to most weeks and she lives about 10 minute cycle from me and she had gardened in this it's one of the most I think it is the most beautiful garden I've ever seen um, and it's become more beautiful as I've come to know her as Aww. as our homes and gardens do when we yeah. are very fond of a person um, but she's gardened for 40 years there nearly 45 and so what you are looking and one of the things that she did when I first turned up was she had a little plastic wallet for the photographs because this garden had been in homes and gardens in the 90s she written oh, wow. about it you <laughs> yes. know it's a real showstopper And she showed me three photographs, one when she'd moved in, one when it was in the magazine, um, and then one later. And it was totally different from the garden you sat in now. And you could just see through the process, this woman learning to lose control in the most incredible way. Diana has lived a life. She's been married twice. She's been divorced twice. She's been very jet set. Um, She's had her own issues to work out. And, the, the garden is a huge great like source of expression and therapeutic understanding for her and I think she gardens out of an understanding of control and the leasing of it um, and I think she sees it as her life's work and what amazing life's work that is.
0: Well, It's because gardening is a form, I see this time and time again, it is a form of art therapy and it's in a way to express yourselves um, and that's what I really really love about gardening.
1: Yeah, um, yeah why do
0: you garden Helen? Why do I garden? That's a really good question. Why do I you ask. grow? <laughs> so I, I, like I said, I grew up on a farm so I think I've had that innate sort of connection to nature that's mm-hmm. always there if you're fortunate enough to grow up in the countryside but then I left home at 17 to go off wow. to university and I just lived in cities ever since wow. but um, we moved back to Scotland um, and just before the lockdown we, we bought our first house as a family and it had a garden and um, obviously lockdown came and I had three children under the age of five at the wow. time Um, before the April and um, they're still very little they're only seven, six and three now. But, um, my husband was working as an NHS doctor, and we didn't have any family in Glasgow, and it was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it was It was a really hard period of time, and I was very unwell. Um, I became very depressed and anxious I'd had a history of postnatal depression, so mm-hmm. um, I don't think it took much to sort of trigger, but i I really fell for the garden and it became Mm. my absolute escape. And Mm. I threw everything into it. I threw the kids into it and it became an obsession along with therapy and drugs. Um, But I do believe that the garden has saved me over those two years. I know that sounds very dramatic, but um, it was a really horrible time as a family, just being pulled by three small children, very isolating. Uh, and your husband's out working all the hours and um, it's really lonely really isolating mm-hmm. so it was my escape and um it has, is now very center central to my life I I teach kids at the school I've started up mm-hmm. a gardening club there for a school there's 800 kids there wow and uh, yeah it's just I'm really passionate about telling people why we should garden not only for our environment and just to teach us where our food comes from something that's got way lost along the Lines, but also because it's really good for our minds yeah. um, anything that takes us outside and away from sort of our anxieties and problems and screens can only be a good thing to be honest so that in a nutshell is why I garden
1: <laughs> fantastic nutshell yeah I mean it's it's interesting that the one thing that was in common when I was speaking to women for why women grow was that there was everyone was able to pinpoint a moment you know, we we all know as kind of sentient adult beings that things are never as simple as I did this and then this happened and then this yeah. happened. Things are gradual and accumulative, but everyone was able to pinpoint, you know, a goldfinch or a lockdown or, you know, a, a particular fissure in their life when it felt Not like too. something changed and the garden was there and um, i know
0: from family grief is often one of those things when when a partner dies and yeah. their and their garden is just something for them to focus on and for them to heal from as well yeah. that's a really common one i found with speaking with people
1: yeah um, very much and you know there's a there was um, a lady called fiona in the book who has who very generously invited me into her garden where she has made a garden for um, a child she lost she mm-hmm. lost her first child and she made a garden for Willow and it it is one of the most special places I've ever been but that notion of her keeping a space alive and her subsequent living children now work in the garden with her and it's yeah it the ground can carry things that nothing else can
0: Oh, it's very powerful. The ground is so powerful. Yeah. (laughs) There's lots of things bubbling up from that. It's Mm -hmm. interesting you say at the start of our chat this morning that you were sort of embarrassed to talk about gardening. And I think now, especially over the last three years, and I think as your book is testament to what was perhaps baby boomers, sex, drugs and rock and roll, I think for gardening now for so many is a sort of really
1: positive escape and Mm. form of therapy. (laughs) Yeah, Well, it's something that sort of I found with Rootbound. Rootbound is very much about what happens when people and generations go to ground in times of trauma, um, whether that's sort of Victorian pterodomaniacs or industrial revolution era, you know, people working in the coal mines and things, um, all the way up to the arts and crafts movement. And then, of course, that came out. And then six weeks later, we were all selling out compost in the wake of a pandemic. You know, (laughs) it's... It is interesting that the things that push us to the earth and one thing that I have realized over the last 10 years of talking to people about gardening is that everyone, there's a vast majority of people who are doing it quietly and don't feel the need to talk about it. And like the same way that people love cooking or the same way that people love going for a run, it's part of a personal practice. If you're fortunate enough to have an outdoor space that you can tend to, whether that's shared or your private one or whatever, then, you know, that, that's probably going to be something in your life that you might not even think about that much. But yeah. I think the combination of the pandemic and people getting into it, and the house plant phenomenon, and Instagram—so suddenly there's a space to talk about it—it it has really shrugged off that very stuffy, you know, RHS member beige anorak and red corduroy
0: trousers, yes. and stair lifts.
1: <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, there are still, I still don't really feel particularly horticulturally establishment, and there's a lot of that establishment where there is a huge amount of privilege. I was at an event not very long ago when someone said that they couldn't make something because they had a croquet match to go to, and I was like, I literally had to reply with the word relatable, and he didn't realise that I was joking, you know, like this is the... (laughs) It's still very much that existent world, but what I really wanted to do with Why Women Grow, and what I feel like I only touched the tiniest tip of the iceberg, is, is tell the stories of every other person for whom gardening is important. Women, especially with gardening, it's, I find it's interesting if you ask children, or even if you ask grown adults, they'll say, and I did this myself, they'll say, well, my dad gardened. And it took me going back to the garden of my childhood in the book to realize that my mother made all of these things incredibly beautiful. And I had no understanding because it was just one of the many things that she did invisibly and that we didn't give her credit for at the time. And I think so many women do that.
0: It's just like brushing your teeth. I mean, now you've said that I look at my own mum and she gardened every day and my both my grands gardened but it was no different to sort of making the beds in the morning almost right (laughs) Right.
1: exactly exactly
0: Um, so as I was reading the book and yeah I mean you've obviously read my mind Alice but (laughs) I was thinking (laughs) wow this would be a really lovely podcast and then lo and behold (laughs) I find out that not only you've gone and done a podcast
1: (laughs) yeah the secret squirrel project over the summer yeah So yeah. the
0: book's out on March the 2nd, is that correct? Correct, yeah. Correct. Yeah. Okay, excellent. And you've got a lineup of events in London that people can go on your website. I'll put all those details in the show notes and have a look um, and come and listen to you talk about the book because I think that will be absolutely wonderful. Um, but tell me a little bit about the podcast yeah. and is it the same people from the book or how does it differ?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And it's one that um I have already, yeah, I feel like it's, it's, I'm like, sometimes I should have just called it something different because it's not the same people of the book. Um. Basically, I finished writing the book and I felt this real, there's often a, a strange grief that happens when you finish a huge creative project anyway, as I'm sure you're familiar with. But yeah. um, <laughs> But then I just felt there were so many more, there, you know, as I said, there were so many more stories to be told. And so with the podcast, the, one of the things that happens in the book is that I, women who shared their stories were all very generous with them and they have all signed them off and read them before anyone else got to read them and it's um i hope everyone is relatively satisfied with that process but they're also relatively anonymous and with a podcast that's harder to do so i wanted to talk to women who were better known for other things than gardening about their gardening lives. So women like Margaret Howell, who's a fashion designer, um, or an author called Sally Vickers, who, like you, pushed her children around Kew Gardens in prams and now now raises her grandchildren there and was also taken there as a child. And so we went to Kew and spoke about this multi-generational memory of Kew Gardens. Um, So the conversations are sort of truncated versions of, uh, you know, the same question that I was asking in the book, but they're with women that you may be familiar with. They're women who have fascinating creative lives beyond gardening. Um, And yeah, it was just such a pleasure to do. I thought it would take maybe a few weeks to record and we were out there from the very beginning of June all the way to the end of November. traveling around the country this merry band there were three of us there was my producer Holly my photographer Siobhan me we worked with uh, a female musician to make the music we recorded in a feminist studio the artwork is done by a woman the graphic design is done by a woman it's been this real sisterhood uh, and it's been a it's been a real joy so I can't wait to to get that out there because there's some, there is a real, as you'll know, as a very successful podcast yourself, there is a difference between hearing conversations verbatim and seeing them through my eyes on the page oh totally i couldn't agree
0: more i'm very excited to listening to this actually i have to admit and i see you've already had there's a huge amount of popularity around it so i'm sure it's going to be a huge success Um,
1: i'm all new at it so i'm very like oh we'll see
0: how it goes (laughs) oh you'll be grand you'll be totally grand i think you'll be a natural alice honestly and likewise the book is absolutely beautiful and again i'll put the the show put all the details in the show notes when is the podcast out
1: podcast will be out in mid-february so you get a little bit of a taster before before the book is out
0: amazing well listen alice thank you so much for your time this morning really appreciate it
1: thank you for having me it's been a joy
0: brilliant alice well done that is all sadly we have time for today. A huge thank you for tuning in and listening and a very special thank you to Alice. You can find details about her new book as well as her podcast and her newsletter as well as everything else we've covered in the podcast in today's show notes. Next week I'll be joined by Kim Stoddart, author of The Climate Change Garden. Please do remember to share, review and subscribe to the podcast however you listen to your podcasts on whichever platform you'll be able to find Grow, Cook, Inspire. Until next week, keep growing and cooking.